Hello friends, and welcome to part five of our Queer Advent series. And I know, yes, Christmas happened, so Advent is technically over, but I wanted to even go further and explore some more themes as we go into the, the season of Christmas Tide, so the 12 days of Christmas afterwards, leading up to Epiphany. So this is really a six-part series, even though there's only four weeks of Advent, or at least four Sundays of Advent. And so for this episode, the conversation happened on December 27th with Molly Korber, and we talked about speaking out, because when we look at the lectionary passage for that day, we've got two prophets, and so we're looking at the speaking out of the prophets as they speak over the infant Jesus, or baby Jesus. I don't really remember exactly how old Jesus was at that time, but there's something going on there. And so we looked at how does that relate to the embodied experience of queer people, uh, specifically queer people in the United States, um, and not necessarily just queer Christians. As per usual, this was originally recorded as a live conversation on Instagram. So when we get distracted, it's because this is a live conversation. We are easily distracted anyways, as you just saw. Um, and so this isn't really podcast material, but we wanted to be able to make sure that people that wanted to hear this could hear it uh, as easily as possible. So I hope that you enjoy it and uh, be sure to check out all of the other episodes so far in the series. And we've got one more left after this. Hello, friends, joining the recording. We're going to be joined by Molly Korber soon, and we're going to be talking about speaking out. So let me send out this invite. Hey friend. Hello. How are you? I'm well, how are you? Good, I'm cold. I have not been in my basement all day. Oh yeah. Usually I'm working on papers before this starts at least for a few hours. So I'm, I'm gotcha. trying to stay warm as best as possible. Yeah, it's been so cold the past few days. Indeed. Really bad, but whatever. <laughs> I'm just ready for it to be over even though we're not even really that much into the winter yet, unfortunately. Yeah, at least someone told me that, like, December 1st was the beginning of, like, the meteor meteorological winter. So, yeah. I like that, even though we're not, we're only a few days into real winter. Uh, right. <laughs> nature disagrees, and so I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. All right, so, uh, we'll do quick introductions then a prayer reading. Um, I might talk a little bit longer than normal um, after it. reading the scripture, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, so first, for those that are, are, are joining me that don't know me, um, and also for those that are watching the recording later that don't know me, I am Yost. My pronouns are they, them. I am a non-binary bisexual uh, seminary student uh, and teacher that is currently pursuing ordination in the United Methodist Church. And that's just a few of the identities uh, that are important to me, at least in the context of this conversation. Uh, and this week I am joined by... Molly Kerber, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I am bisexual and I'm a student in ministry um, and also a student in biblical studies. So I'm in my senior year of undergrad and I'll be wrapping that up soon and trying to figure out what the next steps are. I'm not really quite sure yet, 
Um, but yeah, I think that's the main things that are important to this conversation as well. Awesome. Uh, so I'm going to open with a prayer and then I will be reading um, the portion of Luke from today's lectionary. So uh, will you pray with me? A long-awaited one, we have prayed. We have kept watch. We have longed for your presence, and you, faithful one, have come bearing the flesh of the earth. Teach us to perceive. Do not let us pass you by. May our attention be turned from all that keeps us from recognizing and blessing the sources of salvation dwelling among us. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, yes, this is the technically the first Sunday of Christmas tide. So the, the, the 12 days of Christmas, we are not really a quarter of the way through yet, or we're barely a quarter of the way through. I've lost count of what day we're on. I think that was, now that the sun has gone down, we are on the fourth day of Christmas. Um, I believe you. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I, 2020, I'm, who knows? I'm, I try to follow. The 26th was the first, the 27th was the second. Mm. Yeah, no, so we're, on, we're starting the third right now. I really know what's going on with my life. Not at all. It's fine. <clears throat> Uh, so Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 22 through 40, and I'll be reading from the, the Common English Bible. When the time came for the ritual cleansing in accordance with the law from Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. They offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A man named Simeon, Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went to the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought to the child, brought the child to the temple so they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared, prepared the salvation in the presence of all peoples. It is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This boy is a sign to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that generates opposition so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your innermost being too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel who belonged to the tribe of Asher. She was very old. After she married, she lived with her husband for seven years. She was now an 84-year-old widow. She never left the temple area, but worshiped God with fasting and prayer night and day. She approached at that very moment and began to praise God and to speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had completed everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown, Nazareth in Galilee. The child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. And God's favor was on him. So for once, I feel like I actually have a few points. Uh, so just a few quick observations, and I kind of want to also connect this to a historical figure. So both of the prophets here that we're presented with, Simeon and Anna, recognize who Jesus is and celebrate um, Jesus. And both of them have been waiting a while. We aren't too sure how long Simeon's been waiting, but we are basically told that um, several decades have passed since Anna's been in the temple daily, praying and fasting, um, which is a very long time. And so it's actually her prayers are fully embodied and, and her waiting is embodied in her physical presence. 
And then Simeon's waiting is empowered by the hope from the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of trust there. And there's also a lot of trust when you think about it for Mary to be like, yeah, sure, here's my child. Like, that's that's a lot when it's a younger child. Um, so both of the prophets proclaim salvation and redemption. And something really interesting is that when Anna talks about the redemption of Jerusalem, this is actually alluding to Isaiah 40. And this phrase was circulated on, on coins in the revolt against Rome. So this is technically a phrase that's used after the story happens and before the text is actually written down. And so the author Luke here is very intentional in giving Anna uh, the phrases used in the resistance against the empire. Uh, so Anna shows how Jesus's life will then live out against the oppression of the empire. And then both prophets also see past what society would see in Christ, because it's very easy to read this. And even the text, Luke is just saying, yeah, it's what's required. The, um, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And if you follow the reference, it talks about Leviticus 12, 8 and 5, 11. And those talk about how the pair of turtle doves is if you cannot afford a sheep. And so they were poor and they're the type of people that would just have been like, yeah, yeah, they're the poor people, let them come in, do their thing, and then they're good to go. But Anna and Simeon see past what society has already proclaimed on Jesus and Jesus's family in order to see who Jesus really is. And so when I'm thinking about um, prophets, usually I just kind of ramble off a whole bunch of figures from the history of queer people. And I really want to bring a lot of attention to Harvey Milk. So Harvey Milk was one of the, he was, is attributed as the first out gay public servant. So he was elected to the board of San Francisco and he did a lot of really cool things for businesses, helped get a bunch of businesses to rally together to push back against anti-gay laws that forbid them from serving anyone that was gay or was really hostile towards uh, gay bars and businesses and restaurants. And so when he was elected, he did a lot of great things, but he only lasted about a year in that position because he was assassinated. But before he was assassinated, he met Cleve Jones. And so we've got this interesting uh, dynamic here. We've got um, Harvey Milk pouring into Cleve Jones in a way that actually transforms the world even further beyond his own death. And if we're looking at it, comparing him to Simeon and Anna, something that I've heard frequently within a lot of movements right now is would you still do the work if you knew you wouldn't see results until the next generation? And I believe that was very much embodied by Harvey Milk. He was actively fighting at all times for the rights of, uh, of gay men. Let's be real. Um, probably not any much beyond that, but that was at least what he was fighting for. And he was pushing for uh, this idea of salvation and redemption and pushing back against oppressive empires and even then he was able to see past what society would say about individuals and invest in Cleve Jones to the point where Cleve Jones, after Harvey Milk was assassinated, started the AIDS Memorial Quilt, which is widely attributed as the largest factor that helped this nation understand um, AIDS and the AIDS epidemic so much um, better than it was because it was very much just like the gay disease originally, and there was a lot of um, pushback in trying to do any sort of research or any sort of health investments. And so um, I just wanted to draw that connection of how Harvey Milk really leaves out this, this idea of speaking out, which we're talking about today. 
Um, and so now I will stop yapping. Uh, surprisingly, this didn't take forever. And I, I just want to ask Molly, how have you seen Speaking Out lived in the LGBTQI community or even just your own queer experiences? Right. Wow, there's so much, there's so much I could say. Um, I think that's really powerful thinking of Harvey Milk as someone who was willing to do the work before he would see the change. Um, I think those themes of Advent waiting, you know, and um, speaking out really come together within the queer experience in ways that sometimes people who aren't in it don't really get it. Or like, if you don't really talk about it, you don't really sit with it, you don't really get it. Um, and so I really love the story of Simeon and Anna, like knowing that God had given them a message, um, but also knowing they had to wait to share it. And living in that tension of living, living out that message and living into that message and sitting with it and not just ignoring it, but at the same time, knowing when to speak and knowing when not to. Um, and so in my personal queer experience, I found that to be very challenging and also very enriching. Um, so I know I mentioned earlier that I identify as bi, although labels I find can be a little limiting. Um, I definitely sit well with the bi plus community, but being bi for me doesn't just mean that I'm interested in men or women who are cis. Um, but the interesting thing about being bi is that there's a lot of privilege that comes with that because I can very easily hide underneath compulsory heterosexuality. And at the same time, there's a lot of erasure that comes with that. And so growing up, I didn't really have the education to be able to identify myself as bi. Um, I just knew there were gay people and straight people. And because I liked boys, even though I had crushes on girls too, I must have just been straight. So I didn't actually come out until I was in college, um, probably almost two years ago now, to myself. So learning how to feel comfortable with I, my identity, I almost sort of feel like a late bloomer in that way. And the interesting thing about that identity as well, um, and also with my presentation and my gender expression and my gender itself being cis and you know presenting very feminine um, it is very complex trying to figure out where my space is within the community. And then the, the extra layer, the blessing of this year, but the extra layer is that, um, I recently fell in love with someone who is a cis-het man, who is probably the straightest person I've ever been with, and the most traditionally masculine person I've ever been with, because, um, he's from Africa and his culture is definitely a little more, like, gender stereotypical. So with all of that together, that creates a whole mess of, you know, before when I was dating women, I was kind of out in the scene. Um, it was a little easier to fit within the community. And now I'm in this weird in-between space of joy of being with someone who really sees me for who I am and really loves me for who I am. Um, but also confusion as to how my sexuality fits within that. Um, and I think the second element to all of this is the setting in which I'm in most of the time, um, which sort of like brings all of this together. So I go to a Christian university that is definitely evangelical. And I use that as a descriptive word, not like as a harsh term or a judgmental term, um, just descriptive. 
And a lot of people would say that Eastern University is the liberal leg of the evangelical community. So it's a very in-between space to be in as well. Um, there's people from all over the theological spectrum. And that leads to this weird queer existence of not really knowing which spaces are safe and which spaces aren't safe. And I'm very blessed to know that there are safe spaces at my school because at most Christian universities, there would not be any safe spaces because a lot of Christian universities are on the more conservative end of the spectrum and Eastern's pretty moderate. Um, so I think a lot of times there's this expectation in the queer community to either be in the closet or out and proud. You know, you're either in a homophobic sort of community environment and it's not safe to be out, so you're not, and that's fine. Or you get to a point where you have the freedom to leave that environment, and then you can be out and proud and cut out all the homophobes in your life and live your best life. Um, but I think for a lot of queer Christians, it's like, I still love Jesus. I'm still a part of this Christian community. I care about this. I'm invested in this. Um, this has transformed my life, and I see my queerness really being a part of my faith. And yet, a lot of people in my Christian community don't really vibe with that. So, it leads to this weird space of not really knowing where you quite fit in. And in a lot of environments that are more moderate, like Eastern, it requires a lot of feeling it out, or like wading into these uncharted waters, which is frustrating for me because I grew up in an environment where it was a little safer to just sort of dive in head first. And I know that that also gives me a lot of privilege. But for my peers specifically, my queer peers who grew up in environments where it was not safe to be out, there's a lot of religious trauma they bring with them. And so whatever I say not only reflects me, but reflects my peers. And so I'm responsible for them as well um, and for their safety. So, so often I feel like within this little mini queer community at Eastern, we have a club called Refuge. It's like a safe space. Within Refuge, we always talk about feeling it out, figuring out who's safe, which professors are safe, which people you can be out to. We like gauge people's reactions to us when we go to events and we've got all our pride gear. Um, it's definitely very interesting to try to figure out advocacy in the midst of that. So... I think for me, there's a lot of hope in knowing that the Holy Spirit is with me and guides me. And I know I've been called to advocacy for this community specifically before I even knew that I was a part of the community. Yeah. I always knew I wanted to be an ally and I wanted to be an advocate. And I think that's where a lot of people start who aren't out <laughs> like from a young age. But at the same time, I also know that there's some level of sensitivity that that takes within the other communities that I'm in and some like degree to which I must protect myself and others. So knowing that the Holy Spirit has empowered me with this, but also knowing there's examples of people in scripture who have had to wait for that moment mm -hmm. um, is so comforting because I know that as time goes on and as I, as progress happens as we start to plant seeds with people i really believe that people will start to kind of come around and listen and it's all really truly also about relationship because there's plenty of my peers who i know if i had just come out to them when i first met them they would not have accepted me 
but through getting to know them and gaining their trust and respect and then dropping the bomb of them like oh yeah I'm also queer that kind of leads <laughs> unfortunately I wish they would just accept me at face value but that leads to some conversation and some questioning of like oh this person's a legit Christian she knows what she's talking about and she's queer so that's a lot of different thoughts, but I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that those themes really come together well. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely very cool to think about and explore. Yeah. Um, have you read uh, Reverend Edmonds' uh, Queer Virtue? I have not. Okay. Um, so, and I'm assuming most people watching have not. So in it, she, I really like the work that she's done because she stopped her book is one of the first big ones that was like, I'm not going to try to argue for the inclusion of queer people. Um, mm -hmm. Instead, I'm going to tell you what you miss when you exclude them. And one of her virtues that she talks about is coming out um, and how the church can learn so much from how queer people come out and how they engage with the spaces around them and how coming out is about more than just yourself. It's a proclamation of, of safety to others. Um, and I think that really works really well with the idea of like feeling things out. Um, because if we think of coming out so that someone can receive you for fully who you are and proclaiming the true gospel of liberation and redemption, you have to have the groundwork done for either of those to be received well. Mm -hmm. um, because there's so much um, negative stigma attached to both in the end. Um, so to really... Like I'm, and when I'm talking about preaching the gospel of liberation and restoration, I'm not talking about like converting people to Christianity, but instead talking about like helping people understand that a better world is possible. Um, and that there's still, even then, a lot of groundwork that needs to be laid beforehand. Right. And I think also, not so much on the receiving end, but on the other end, it requires a lot of faith um, and trust that, and like investment in the same way that our Christian experience does. Um, yeah, I think that's really powerful. And I, I also think it's really helpful too to flip the script from, okay, like, how can we defend ourselves and our right to exist within these communities to like, what do we bring? Like, what are the good things versus like, how can we combat the bad things or the harmful things? I think is better language. So I find it interesting that we've now basically talked about speaking out, but haven't really talked about like the activism side of it. We've kept it very uh, personal. Um, right. I guess conveniently talking about Harvey Milk and Clee Jones, it makes it a little easier. Here's Jones, right? Yes, Jones. Um, what are the thoughts you got? Oh, here's a question. I got a question from Carly. She says, have either of you had a moment of speaking out that didn't go well and how did you deal with it? Ooh. Oh, I can go first. Um, I wore this shirt, uh, which is, the I now see, probably shirt. in reverse uh, for the recording. So that's great. Um, and that almost ripped apart a community. Um, I didn't even have to say anything. Like, I offended a lot of people just by existing in the space. And... Um, how did I handle it? How did I deal with it? I just kept my mouth shut for a while and played by the rules of the institution. Um, 
and allowed allies in power to do something. Um, and it's actually kind of cool also, because uh, I think I've shared before that like uh, one of those allies, when I when they were trying to get me on the board for this organization, um, there was a lot of pushback um, and threats made that if I were to serve the community that they would do certain things. Um, and their, the response of my of the ally in the community was literally, do you really think their sexuality or gender identity can stop them from processing paperwork? <laughs> and he just phrased it in a it's way so that they were like, I know all these people and I know the oh. situation. <laughs> <laughs> I kicked my tripod. Uh, but they, they were just like, oh. And he has an uncanny ability to, to put things in perspective. I just also I forgot to mention there's a guinea pig behind me who like does not like the fact that I'm in here. So if you hear something squeaking, that's what is happening. I I can barely I didn't hear it. So it's okay, good. good. <laughs> it was really loud a second ago, and I was like, oh, this is this is a problem now. I need to say something. <laughs> it's okay. I kicked my tripod at probably the right time, so I'm sure that made more noise. Mm. So would you like yeah. to share? Speaking yeah. out that didn't go well. You know, the thing that's so freaking frustrating about situations like that, which I think also really your experience speaks to like a wider experience for sure, is like a lot of times like we're put in these positions where we can't even really advocate for ourselves. And like w while the expectation should be, or not the expectation should be, but the expectation often is that, oh, you're just going to respond, you, you should say something, you should stand up for yourself, you should advocate for yourself, but it's not always well received. Like, you have to find a smarter, sort of sneakier way to sort of um, find your place within a community. And like, but it's really hard. And it takes so much humility to be able to like, I don't know, pass it, almost pass it on to someone else. And it also feels wrong sometimes. And it's weird and complicated and uncomfortable. And as much as allies have more power than people who are in the LGBTQ plus community, like they don't get it in the ways that those of us who are part of it do. And I don't even get it the ways that other people in the communities, other people in this community do. <laughs> Carly says facts, queers are sneakier in a good way. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, thankfully, I will say this, a lot of times I've been very scared to speak out, because already in life, I have a big fear that people won't take me very seriously, which is BS, I know that, but I'm working on it. Um, but a lot of times when I have spoken out for the LGBTQ plus community, it's been better received than I could have imagined. I've only had a few negative experiences. I know that's sort of unique to me and most, I'm sure most people don't have that experience, but it was very much surprising because I think it's really easy to like label people as, oh, they won't respond well to my advocacy efforts. And then they, they do because people, some people are really good and they want to learn and they want to do better and they, they want to, they want to get it or they want to try to get it. But I do remember, like, um, this one time, I, this was back when I was around my sophomore year, I think, of college, and so I was just sort of getting into my department, um, specifically biblical studies at Eastern, and there came a time where there were a few peers that I came out to because I was starting to trust them, and 
I wanted people in my classes that I knew could have my back. And the thing that was sort of disappointing about that experience is that when I came out to a lot of those people, like the response was, okay, I still accept you, but I theologically disagree with who you are. Um, and so I just never really know how to respond to that. Cause I'm like, I know my clobber passages. I know, like, I know how to like argue this, but at the same time, should I have to argue for my existence? Um, and so I don't know. And then on the other hand, it's like, I'd rather have someone be honest with me than not. Um, but I would say that overall, there are more safe pockets than you would expect. But I think a lot of times it's we do face like people who shut us down and we don't really know what to do. I can't hear you. And reassure okay. myself, I would say that one, you don't have to prove yourself to someone. You don't need to arg theologically argue your right to exist. They can disagree with you, cool, whatever, but you don't have to fight them back. And two, it's going to be okay. This doesn't have to be crushing because you will find your safe people. And so I guess like sometimes you just really can't convince people otherwise because they have what they have, they know what they know, and they're not going to budge. Um, there comes a point where you almost have to like protect yourself a little bit and yet continue to plant those seeds and continue to wait knowing that god has a plan for your life and that inclusion is god's mission and god will bring it to fruition whether we see it or whether it's way 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 in the future after we're gone yeah um i think to carly's question that the speaking out and it going wrong, it, it's almost always going to go wrong when we're trying to advocate for ourselves. And I think that's a little harder. Um, <clears throat> but we also remembering that speaking out is seeing the person and knowing who they are and bringing the goodness to light of well, not light, like allowing them, their true selves to radiate in spaces where they may not be able to, to find that radiance normally. Um, so providing those little pockets, that is an act of speaking out also. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Or even like, I've been in some situations where I knew that speaking out wasn't going to be received well by everyone, but I knew that like one or two people needed to hear it. So I just did it anyway. And there may have been people there who were annoyed by it, but they didn't really say anything to me. They just sort of avoided me, didn't look at me, didn't talk to me about it. And the people who needed to hear it are the ones that came up to me or said something to me. So, yeah. I mean, there's definitely wisdom in navigating how to use a platform, but I definitely think that when the opportunity strikes, like there have been times in my life where I was scared too, but it was definitely worth it. And I think that kind of like goes back to creating those pocket pockets for people, you know. Yeah. I guess I don't have too much more. <laughs> Not really either.
it's a, this week is kind of nice because it kind of speaks for itself. <laughs> right. Pun not necessarily intended. Right. It's probably yeah. also worth mentioning how a lot of, so the queer community has not done speaking out well in the cases when I mentioned that Harvey Milk was most likely advocating for, for gay men. So when we talk about gay liberation, it, it has been very narrow. It started off as only gay white mm. men and hence the need for um, white women to start lesbian societies and then uh, even more so trying to diversify those things. Uh, right. And so there That's is a lot of realizing how can you make a space more um, inclusive that also in includes diversity when it comes to ethnicity and race uh, and cultures. And so trying to yeah. find the ways to do that. And that's one of the ways that the queer community has, has fallen short for sure when it comes to, to speaking out. Great. Yeah. And I, th I think like, I was just sort of thinking about this before you mentioned that, like the idea of visibility and how that sometimes speaks even louder than words, just like being there and knowing people knowing that you are queer. Um, but I think also visibility goes back to creating more inclusive environments beyond just like gender and sexuality and like really elevating people of color who are also queer, disabled people who are also queer, people who live at those intersections, giving them leadership opportunities, like giving them a voice or share it, even just sharing those who have been safe enough or have put out content into the world, sharing their content, and promoting it. And I think that's something you do really well, Yost. But yeah, I definitely think that's a, a big way even like to share resources and stuff. Cause I've talked with, I talked with some students this past summer. I was working at a youth ministry internship um, and I was doing a queer ministry for students, um, just sort of like a round table discussion. And I had a student who came to me anonymously and um, was like, hey, like, it's not safe for me to be out, but I feel weird, like, not being out, and I want to do something for my community. Mm -hmm. um, but even just, like, sharing resources and being supportive, or even just being a visible ally can, like, do so, 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 so much. So I think people just knowing that you're there, like, really speaks huge volumes, and that's something I've really learned over the past few years because I've never done like a public social media coming out like I never like made a huge deal about it I just kind of was there and kept advocating and like people came to me because of that so I think that's really cool and it's been a lot of fun yeah um my or my probably my most solid memory of that and that being lived out is last year before COVID, it was like after school and one kid was like, oh yeah, my non-binary friend was super excited to hear that like I had a non-binary teacher. It, it gave them hope that they could be successful in life and, and be out. And, and I was like, what? <laughs> like that blew my mind. Um, I was like, well, you know, I'm just a public school teacher. So uh, see how successful you think that is. But I appreciate all of those compliments. Um, and then of course I have like a 40 minute drive home from work. So I think that sat with me for a long time on the way back home. Um, and it's clearly still does. Cause I, I, right. I think it was, 
had to have been last year because the student is only a sophomore. So it was probably early in the, the in last school year. So it's amazing. Well, I guess that goes back to Edmund's idea of like how coming out is not just for, for you. Um, mm -hmm. That's powerful. That's really, that's really sweet to hear that. <laughs> yeah, and now it's at a point since the GSA has a, a group chat on Instagram, a lot of them follow me now, which is Aww. really weird too. <laughs> that is kind of weird, but like, it's also sweet because I, I really think like having those role models when you're young is really, make, really makes all the difference. Um, knowing that you're, it's not just your peers, like there are people who are older than you, there are elders, there are mentors that can help kind of guide you through the experience. Yeah, I definitely grew up without that. You said that you were late, a late bloomer. Um, I, it wasn't until I was 30 um, <laughs> that I realized that I was queer in any way, shape or form. Um, right. First, my gender identity came crumbling down. And then once you degender the world, like everything else starts to crumble too. Um, Right. So yeah, I, I grew up in a place that didn't have that at all. So I, I never really knew. Like, it's really weird to be like, I didn't know trans was a thing, but literally I was never taught about trans people. Um, so non-binary right. was never, ever an idea that was ever presented to me until I was teaching. Right. Like, I didn't really know anything about non-binary people until until I was coming out to myself. And then I was like listening to podcasts all the time, trying to figure out what it meant to be an active member of the community. It's like, <laughs> it's crazy just because you don't, you don't see queer people. You don't see trans people. You don't see non-binary people all the time. And you just like, don't know the pe uh, people that match like your inner self and like the things you wonder about and dream about, like they match you and they're there. Yeah. And so it's like, you just think it's just you and it, it exists in this weird isolated space, but it's not just you. There's so many people. And so, yeah, it's really sweet to see others. It's almost as if the LGBTQIA community is built on a foundation of speaking out. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I have not yet heard a um, story of an LGBTQIA person where they did not say, I felt alone and I didn't know there was anyone like me um, because it's so isolated. You're not raised in a queer household very often. And right. so, yeah, it, it is foundationally built on on speaking out and living out yeah and it's not like an outward identity that someone can just look at you and be like oh they're queer like sometimes people present in a way like have an expression that's like people might think but like yeah. you can't really you can't really assume someone's gender or sexuality either so yeah that definitely makes it unique and it makes it require speaking out We've got a hand clap from Carly. I don't think we had any other questions. So we can probably wrap up. If you have any closing thoughts, now's a good time to share them. Um, I think I'm fine. We talked okay. about a lot today. Yeah. It's the Sunday after Christmas. It's exhausting. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's vacation, you know? You're like off from work, off from school, but it still feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah. oh thanks karen she said great conversation i the, were you able to uh, watch theirs from last week no okay they're they're absolutely amazing check them out if you get the chance 
Um, oh, so I guess for those that are watching the recording, um, this is the fifth in a series, and um, there's going to be six. I don't know when the next one will be. I'm um, working on scheduling that. I'm going to try to, since it's for Epiphany, I'm going to try to move it closer to Epiphany instead of on a Sunday. So I'm working with Naomi for that. But Naomi Bonin is absolutely amazing um, and a, a, a good friend of mine uh, from Emmanuel. So that'll be a lot of fun too. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> I will wrap us up. So I have a closing prayer uh, from the Christmas section on Enfleshed. They have like two prayers for oh, Christmas nice. Day. And this one's called God in Solidarity. God takes on flesh and joins life in the struggle. This is what radical solidarity feels like. Lives and souls and bodies entangled. Risks and possi possibilities shared. We're in this together. The mess, the beauty, the work. Don't be afraid to feel hopeful. God's promises are kept. God won't opt out or turn away. God won't give up when things get tough. God won't defend power or privilege or institutions or tradition at the expense of freedom or love or liberation or your worth. God's witness is birthed at the margins. God knows what's at stake. Let all who are weary rejoice. All of evil's deceptions will be revealed and fear of unjust powers will cease. The liberating one now dwells among us calling upon hearts from all walks of life to open, to take courage, to soften, to release. Behold, the sacred and fleshed reveals the way of love. Amen. Oh, that's good. Carly's saying that we should do more of these. Uh, I, have, I have definitely thought about it. I don't know if I could keep up a weekly thing, uh, but I have thought about that. I will probably pester those that have joined me to, to think about it. I have a lot of ideas that have spurred out of this, but thank you so much, Molly, for joining me. Uh, it has been great. Me. And of course, my, my heater turned on right at the beginning of that prayer. So I'm sure everything got hard to hear out of nowhere. Uh, so I'll have to I clean that up. Anything. Oh, that's good. I guess everything's <laughs> getting more blocked out than we think. <laughs> yeah. See, that's good. That's really good. Um, Awesome. So thank you for joining me. And <laughs> Carly said me. Yoast was made for lives and podcasts. I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure about lives. Like, I don't know what's going on with my beard and it has been distracting me the entire time. I need a trim. Right. But I can't have a trim. At least you can edit podcasts. Yeah, I definitely have the face for podcasts, so that works. <laughs> and I do like live conversations. They're a little easier. I don't have to edit them. Right. I just record a quick preface before I throw it on a podcast and go, yeah, this was a live conversation. Uh, I'm sorry that we got distracted. Uh, but thanks for listening. So Most podcasts are like that anyway. <laughs> sure. I feel way more distracted than the ones I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably because live comments makes it so that you're like, well, the video is great whenever there's a comment. Both people go, huh? And so I just zoom in oh, on my true. bald spot to read it. <laughs> but yes, thank you for joining me. It has been great. Thank Have you. a good night. And I will pester you later if, if I end up developing more ridiculous ideas. Sounds good. Be well. All right. See you, Yost.
Sí, 